You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to the audio version of the Church Doctor Report, presented by Kent Hunter. Welcome to this issue of the Church Doctor Report. Our content for today is focused on worship that connects. How, to whom, and why. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter, the Church Doctor, and I'm excited about this topic. Let's get right into it. On Sundays after church, my wife and I occasionally go out to lunch. Sometimes we eat at the local Culver's restaurant. I found it interesting that they play Christian music in the background. Now, I'm a trained missiologist, an enthusiast for reaching lost people for Jesus. I am also a diagnostician focused on how we reach unbelievers effectively. So, my mind immediately asked, what kind of Christian music is that? The answer, contemporary, smart. Why? (laughs) In mission terminology, this is the power of contextualization. From the perspective of Scripture, God showed up in the flesh. Jesus was born in Israel, the promised land. He was a Jew among Jews. He looked like a Jew, talked like a Jew, he ate like a Jew. He fit the context. Why? Because God is serious about reaching people where they are. Why? The whole plan is about the salvation of lost people far from God who created him. He loves them. And he sent his son, who gave his life for them. So, what was Jesus' greatest obstacle? It isn't a question of what, but a question of who. His challenge was the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees. And what was their issue? Jesus didn't do it the way we've always done it, the way we're used to doing it. So, they killed him. Failure to believe in Jesus kills people eternally. Failure to contextualize his message kills his church. The Pharisees, there was a Pharisee by the name of Saul. He was biblically blinded by the religion the habits that are helpful carriers of God's movement, but they change for each season, culture, generation, and language. So Saul missed the faith. He had the religion, but he missed the faith, the person of Jesus. He couldn't see God's gift. Saul was too focused on the packaging. He missed Jesus until Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Saul was blind to the incarnation, the extent God would go to get his salvation gift to lost people, no matter what package it would take. Eventually, Saul, now Paul, got it. The proof? Listen to what he writes. And I quote, So I became all things to all men, that I may save some of them, by whatever means 
are possible. End quote. 1 Corinthians 9, 22b. You see, contextualization matters. There's a brilliant saying, a text without a context is a pretext. It is a presupposition, even rude, to present the good news of Jesus Christ in packaging that is foreign, strange, and irrelevant to the unbeliever you're trying to reach. It leans toward idolatry. It elevates the form above the substance of the faith. It kills churches and the Christian movement. Ah, but we've always done it that way, right? Wrong. To be clear, erosion of God's truth, the scripture, renders the power of the gospel impotent for salvation. The value of scripture is non-negotiable and can never reach lost people by being watered down. Surely, Christianity light, as they call it, guts the power of the Christian movement. However, equally dangerous is the practice of perpetuating feel-good delivery systems that no longer speak the heart language of those you are trying to reach. Now, before you get offended, honor the context of this vital issue. Just before Easter 2021, the Gallup organization released a graphic of a research that they that really ought to get the attention of every believer of Jesus Christ in the U.S. This research began back in 1937. It is where Gallup people phone a large sampling of Americans every few years, and they ask this question, do you happen to be a member of a church, synagogue, or mosque? A graph that they have developed is a picture worth a thousand words. It starts out just before 1940, when they started this research, and 73% of the people said, yes, I'm a member of the church. But then as you follow that graphic all the way across to 2020, that 73% has now dropped for the first time in history in the United States less than 50%. It's now 47% of the people say, I happen to be a member of a church, synagogue, or mosque. So as you can see, those who claim membership in a church, synagogue, or mosque, regardless of whether they actually attend or how often they attend, has decreased to less than 50% for the first time since this research began. Does that get your attention? You see, there are several key issues church people need to address, and one of them is contextualizing the unchanging faith. There are critics who would claim that some attempts at contextualized ministry are entertainment. That view may be accurate for some churches. The appropriate litmus test, however, must always be the content, not the delivery systems. Indeed, if the content is Christianity light, that is an accurate challenge. However, a church with limited theological content and worship, sometimes called a seeker-sensitive service, may have deeper teaching in follow-up small group Bible studies. 
It is a fact. Some churches have gone the entertainment route and lost the central meaning of Christianity. However, they will eventually die from weak biblical content. The context is more complicated than worship style alone. It includes the building itself, dress code, seating, preaching style, music, technology, color schemes, steps, and children's facilities for all those young children raised on the Disney Channel. In the book, Who Broke My Church?, my colleague Tracy and I wrote, The challenge is this. If you don't change the style, you will change the substance, the content. This is what makes traditional churches so ironic. They hold on to stylistic patterns of the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. The leaders wear religious garb from that era. But what these so-called conservatives accomplish is the epitome of theological liberalism. They make the incarnate Jesus appear out of date and irrelevant. They have changed the most important content of the Bible, which is Jesus. Look, over 50 years ago, Marshall McLuhan and Quentin Fuyor wrote the best-selling book, The Medium is the Massage. For Christians, the medium is never the message. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is the message. Yet, when reaching those who are not believers, the medium does send a message. The medium does massage the content. It clarifies or destroys and distorts the point. When I was a young student in college preparing for the ministry, I already had a passion for mission. I wanted to reach out to people who were not Christians and who, or those who had drifted from the faith. When my denomination released a film to raise money for overseas missions, I was intrigued. And as I watched with enthusiasm, the film showed a missionary pastor teaching half-naked children sitting under a palm tree in some jungle. However, the pastor was standing there wearing a long black cassock covered by a white surplice and underneath had a black shirt on with a plastic white collar around his neck. And even though I had no training in mission at that time, I clearly saw the disconnect between that pastor and those little children. He had two disconnects, foreign clothes on the one hand, and he was standing trying to communicate with kids who were sitting down. Oswald Chambers, in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, wrote, Beware of posing as a profound person. God became a baby. <laughs> Mission work is all about effectively reaching unbelievers for Jesus and discipling them into Christ followers who reach others. Jesus left heaven to become like us. It is called the incarnation, which technically means like meat in the flesh. The most effective approach to reach another person for Jesus is called indigenous. It is being like, being inherent, not foreign or weird. Unfortunately, many American churches are indigenous to a target unchurched audience that has been dead for three or four hundred years. Again, in the book, Who Broke My Church?, Tracy and I wrote, 
Why do Christians use out-of-date language, styles, musical instruments, seating choices, signs, communication systems, decision-making styles, and architecture reflecting another century or in another continent? These are real and serious barriers to your neighbor. Do you really want to communicate that Jesus is an out-of-date, irrelevant foreigner? I don't think so. A good example is the Lord's Prayer. Based on Jesus' example in Matthew 6, 9-13, many churches follow translations of this prayer that use language that is no longer relevant for today. You've heard it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, for example. Now, if you're married, what response would you get if, before you went to sleep, you whispered to your spouse, Thou art my very best friend. For many who grew up in the church, this is feel-good language. For an unbeliever searching for God, it sends a message. God is out of date, irrelevant, and foreign. Now, before you crucify this church doctor, look at the context of Jesus' message in Matthew 6, verse 7. Just before the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives this context the meaning of why the prayer is the way it is. This is the background for his prayer recommendation. And this is what he says. And in praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Let's talk about the contextual dilemma. Many pastors understand the contextual challenges. Their longtime church members grow up with forms that become feel-good containers for the faith. Words like thy, pews, pipe organs, clerical dress codes, 16th century favorite hymns. They are vehicles of faith for people that got used to them. But since your faith is close to your seat of emotions, it is a challenge to think like a missionary. The result, many long-term members of the church lament that their adult children no longer attend church. Some have grandchildren who have never been baptized. I know this because I've interviewed thousands of people while conducting church consultations. Many share their stories of unchurched adult children, and they actually start crying as they express their pain and their grief. It's interesting. In the book and the movie called Water for Elephants, a trainer is assigned to a new elephant, which did not respond to his commands. He concluded, this is one stupid elephant. A different trainer took over. He researched the history of that elephant and discovered that it came from a different country and didn't know the English language. Context. Most Christian leaders consider the challenge for their church to be that people don't like change. Yet, if you look at the parking lot at the church, few are driving cars that are over 20 years old. But the context of the worship service is way older than that. Or, for that matter, how many women wear hats anymore in church? How many men wear suits and ties? 
even to so-called traditional worship services. You see, the diagnosis of these real challenges have eluded many churches and several whole denominations. Not to oversimplify this, but there are two key areas. First, many Christians have never caught the basic dynamics of mission thinking. Their pastors and staff have never taught them basic missiology, biblical basics of effective outreach and unchurched people. The exception, of course, is those who feel called to the foreign mission field. Yet, it is not the fault of church leaders themselves. Most training institutions do not teach mission strategies to North American pastors. This absence of missiology is based on a limited perception that the mission field is simply over there somewhere. It reflects a conclusion that has never been totally accurate. And that conclusion is, we are a Christian nation. The good news? There are a growing number of pastors who, on their own initiative, have learned mission teaching. The majority are in non-denominational churches and other movements. There are also a growing number of church members and church staff learning mission teaching through training provided by efforts like the SEND movement provided by Church Doctor Ministries. Well, that's a reflection of the first issue. The second key area for church leaders and members is a limited view of worship styles. In history, denominations would print worship materials like hymnals that imply this is the way we do it. This is how our group worships. With the significant erosion of denominational influence today, many church leaders have concluded that the unchanging content, the theology, can be presented in a variety of forms, in formats. This has led to a variety of worship services in many churches. It is the same biblical content packaged in different contextualized forms. A further extension of this approach includes different physical settings, some in the church building and others set in the marketplace. In marketplace venues, like the local YMCA, a coffee shop, or house churches, this proliferation of settings and styles directed toward contextualizing the same biblical content reflects the pattern of the New Testament church. It also mirrors movements in history when Christianity has greatly impacted areas of the world. It demonstrates the passion and approach of the New Testament church, summarized by the Apostle Paul, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. 1 Corinthians 9.22 And that is what God has to say on the matter. I'm the church doctor saying, move your church to the level of effective mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio version of the Church Doctor Report. If you would like to receive the written version in your email, please sign up by going to www.churchdoctor.org. If you've enjoyed this teaching, please share it with others and encourage them to subscribe. Thank you, and God bless.